Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of the exciting new McLaren 570S, our brand new entry-level sports car. It's built around a carbon fibre tub, it uses a 3.8-litre twin-turbo V8 engine, and naturally there is Formula One inspiration in the car, as 570 refers to the number of days since Jensen Button has been happy. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed and I would like to join my two fellow podcasters here, Zog to my left hello, and Richard to my right hello, and no doubt all of you guys as well in a small ripple of applause for the new Formula One world champion Britain's Lewis Hamilton. Who did it at his home race, if I'm being most ironic about it? It must mean a lot to a man with such an American accent to win. <laughs> I know, I'm cruel. I know he's it's just talking rap he was, he was wrapped in the British flag in yeah. the press conference. Totally. He's a proud Brit. But totally he proud. America, as, as yeah. a lot of us do. We all love America. In fact, Richard even married an American. You loved America that much. Is that why you chose your wife? Because you love America yes, so I, much? Yes, I, yeah. I kidnapped and then made legally binding... Yeah. The union with one of their people. Well done. You can't have her back now. I've got her. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, speaking of the nearest thing we got to an American here then. I meant America when I said you can't have her back. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounded like I'd taken her off you. <laughs> yeah. She was your ex-girlfriend. So that sort of sounded like it could have developed into a situation where I'd have yeah. flung a hat at you or my, vice versa. My life is littered with ex-girlfriends, uh, yes. I can tell you that much. Um, Richard, what's your missus's view on Lewis then? Does he work for Americans? I think she likes him, but she thinks he's a bit of a prima donna. I don't know. Are you asking my wife to speak for the whole of America? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's right, because <laughs> no, no, I mean... No, 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 it's worse than that. You are speaking on behalf of your You're, wife. I know. Of of That's the thing. She's at home. She's probably fast asleep by now. I'm going, yeah, yeah, actually, she says, on behalf of the United yeah, States. But you, can uh, say any, you can say anything, really. Yeah. And it's, and no thing is, actually, in our house, she does represent the whole of the United States. And when something happens in the US that I find distasteful or whatever, I'll go... It's her fault. It's your country. Yeah. Your country. You people. Yeah. 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 She does it to me. Other she does it to me. She works than that. Do you know what she does to me? Sometimes, because obviously she grew up in the southwestern United States and lived in California for a long time and, and is used to sunshine. And she's lived in the UK for almost 10 years now. But still, on a gloomy day, as we're getting now, as we go into autumn, she'll go, your country, your weather. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> well, as if I personally have my hands on the control <laughs> yeah. of our climate. I have to say, she's got a point. Yes, yeah, I True enough. So would you reckon, then, is America's reaction to Lewis. They love him. Well, as far they? as I can tell, they love him, yeah. And why not? You know, he's a young, confident, incredibly talented world champion. There's a few things about him. First of all, he's actually good. Yes, there is. And is yeah. he not? Yeah. Some yeah, of the more ridiculous love, things that he does mm-hmm. would be less forgivable if it wasn't for the fact that he's actually really good. Yes. And so correct. it's yeah. sort of somehow it buys him a little bit of leeway. In the same way that it would have been acceptable for Steve Davis, a snooker player, to start recording R&B music and things. Of course, he didn't. Mm. Or as far as we know, he didn't. But when he was at the height of his powers... Did he do DJing, though? Did he? I think he might have done. Oh, my Lord. But you're quite right, yeah, having the the, the achievement. I worked with him once. He's a right wind-up. Always a tease. Is he? He's marvellous, yes. So, my mate Jim, when his parents got divorced, his grandmother had a picture of his parents, her son and his wife at the time, on their wedding day on top of her TV. And when they got divorced, she kept the frame in the same place on top of the TV 
but got round the awkward matter of the divorce by simply replacing that picture with a signed photo of Steve Davis. <laughs> Which I presume she'd had sort of tucked away for emergencies. Yeah, just in case. But yeah, it's beautiful little detail, wrong. that, isn't it? It's, oh, it's oh, so it's tragic, and all the poor kids. But never mind, signed photo no, can... of Steve what, did he have a nickname when he played snooker? He didn't, uh, didn't interesting. he? Steve, Steve interesting. interesting. I think that was a spitting yeah, image. Was, yeah, so, yeah. okay, given that, what would Lewis's nickname be? Chinstrap? Lewis Chinstrap Hamilton? No? Lewis Lewis, Bling? Lewis Nico still hasn't quite got over it. Hamilton? There is uh, that, yeah. Yes. Yes. Suck uh, it, Nico. Lewis, oh, suck it. Hamilton. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> suck <laughs> it up. It's quite a good middle nickname. I did feel a bit sorry for Nico at the end of that race. How he sorry? Obviously you, you've always been a Nico fan. I've always been a bit of a Nico fan. But he hasn't covered himself in glory in a lot of ways recently, I think. You know, he's been a bit... He hasn't <sighs> covered himself in wins. He's, 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 be been, terribly, <laughs> he's, been, he's been awfully whiny in the yeah. car. And a bit, he's yeah, been yeah. a bit of a crybaby, and nobody likes that. So um, in, the, in, that, in that race, you know... really sorry at the end there wasn't he he was went off came back on yeah possibly almost hit Rosberg and then Rosberg was on the radio going unsafe coming back on and I put on Twitter as a professional racing driver part of your job is to avoid other cars now man up and somebody took me to task about this and said you know that was a really dangerous move from Kvyat and Rosberg was in his rights and I would argue I still argue strongly that that's bollocks because he didn't have anywhere to go Kvyat he was running out it was an iffy move on Kvyat's part but Rosberg, it's still his job to keep out of the way. The part of the skill is the fast reactions to avoid someone who's being yeah. an idiot. Yeah, and, and also you, just get on and race the yeah, car. Yeah, it's and like go. It's the authorities' about, the job, and maybe yeah. your boss at the team, if he thinks it's dangerous, to take it to the authorities. But you shouldn't be on the radio using a tiny part of your brain power to go, wah, 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 not fair, yeah. when yeah. you should be concentrating on driving the bloody car. And I just that's the yeah. objectionable side to him, isn't he? And they're all prone to it to some degree, so those drivers are Well, he's, he's been really bad recently. Although Kimmy, it is, you know, it's a world away from Kimmy being, get off the radio, let me get on with driving the car, because that's what I do. Yeah. You know? um, coming back to Nico, though, Nico was whining during qualifying when his engineer said to him, keep the temperature in the tyres. Nico's response is, what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, how long have you been doing this? Yeah, yeah It's not rocket science, isn't it? He's whingy. And I think he's whingy but, when he's up against the wall a little bit. And his mental position has been rather eroded by the fact that he's sort of become the number two mm. driver. Mm. And he saw it when he then managed to screw up and he lost his first place to Hamilton by making a mistake. Yeah. They cut to Toto Wolff and Nicky Lauder in the pit and they sort of smiled. Yeah. at each other it was almost like yeah. I knew he'd do that it looked like they were going yeah, yeah. told you that's five quid you owe me yeah, although yeah, I said yeah. that he'd choke because he always chokes when he's under pressure doesn't o- he Co, o- although we know how just as you can make things look a certain way in the edit when you're yeah, editing a yeah, video yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that could just have been an unfortunate coincidence well it could have been something they grabbed because even in a live or, or broadcast could, they can just nip some a little pictures bit are out of time. Exactly, that yeah, famous so, awards ceremony where Reese Witherspoon was on the stage giving out an award and then as the person went up to accept it they did a cutaway to Reese Witherspoon sitting in the audience. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Rather imply either that she could travel extremely quickly across time and space or that they were using little pre-shot clips mm. to fill up. Yeah, there you go. Because they haven't got enough cameras. Yeah, so maybe they can't read so much into that reaction. But it must be terribly tough on Nico, given that he probably knows that he's driving right now the most dominant F1 car that he's ever likely to drive. He's not mm. ever likely to be in a car that has a better chance of winning the World Championship than the one he's in at the moment yeah. or the one that he was driving last year yeah. but the frustration 
frustration is that he keeps getting hammered by Hamilton and he's not ever likely to beat Hamilton over a year in the same car. That must be a very difficult thing to deal with psychologically as a driver. He's got Mm. his best shot ever at the World Championship, but he's never going to do it because he's got Hamilton as a teammate. Yeah, exactly. I think poor old Nico's problem is that he's looking deep inside himself and he's saying, what have I got to do to beat this man? And in this race in particular... What can I do? The thing that makes it worse is he made a mistake at the end. Mm. It wouldn't have been so bad if somebody else had nudged him off, if there'd been a mechanic issue, you know, he could get over that. But if he makes a mistake, that's a bigger deal. And that whole palaver in the cool-down room, what do you call that room, Richard? There's a better name uh, for that room, It's the chamber of awkwardness, isn't it? Chamber of awkwardness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't always, and sometimes you see it being quite jolly if it's drivers yeah. who are sort of old mates, and often if they aren't always up there. And yeah. So they're delighted to be there. Yeah. They're on a high plus... They've got their old friend. I mean, if Ricardo's in there, I'm sort of suspecting there's no driver on the grid, current or past, who doesn't like Ricardo, because how could you not? No, exactly. So if he's in there, you're originally going, oh, brilliant, Dan's here. Great, maybe we'll go for a pint afterwards. Yeah. But when you get Hamilton and Rosberg in there, which, of course, you have had a lot this season, and they <laughs> clearly... Chilly. Yeah. yeah, chilly, frosty to the point of where sometimes there's a frigging penguin over by the table with the hats on it. It's, it's the refrigerator of all isn't it? The only the thing that made room. it even worse was when Vladimir Putin <laughs> Turned up in it oh, a couple of weeks ago. That, that, you that, that, that Jesus, was one of your funniest tweets ever, by the way. That's what was that? that? I missed the, that. The one that last year in the, in the Putin, I can't, I can't remember. Okay, I'm spoiling it now by not remembering <laughs> the Bayton tweet and exactly what Sorry, it was. Sorry, I, I, but, but, but it was something about um, uh, the room of awkwardness and how could they possibly make this any more awkward or difficult? Oh, I know. Let's add Vladimir Putin. In. I think he makes Let's... any situation more awkward. Well, this yeah. year's... The room of awkwardness, the yeah. Ukraine, it's just... Yeah, he's, yeah. He's a This year's man, room of awkwardness mm. at the Sashi Grand Prix when Putin was there. Sorry, could you cut out that bit where I said Vladimir Putin was awful because I don't want to get assassinated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going live. I can yeah. hear him just putting the polonium into the umbrella tip as we speak. Where's that list? It was okay, <laughs> yes, that yeah. bottom Richard Porter. He got next. Zog commented that it was particularly weird not to see Putin in the room of awkwardness this year, just yeah. to get a bit more. <laughs> what in America? Just time. turning up, going, yeah. "Hi, I was in the area." Yeah. Um, yeah, That's of course, Vladimir, yeah, <laughs> Vladimir Putin, of course, heartily endorsed on a couple of occasions by Bernie Eccleston. <sighs> yes. Well, so, okay. uh, evil loves evil. Here's a thought. Turkey, a few years ago, the way that they used the podium ceremony was condemned by Formula One, and they lost the Grand Prix because they used the podium in the F1 for a political statement. Mm-hmm. It was to do with the politics of Kurdish separatists, I think, in Turkey. And, you know, F1's supposed to be not political, so we're taking Grand Prix away. I need someone to explain to me why that was any worse than what Russia is doing in using its Grand Prix so much to promote Putin's presidency. And it seems to me that there's a significant degree of hypocrisy in that. I know. You know? It's extraordinary, because uh, F1's not normally hypocritical at all, is it? <laughs> no, you know, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, as you celebrate your third Formula One World Championship, where next for you as a driver? Would you consider, for example, trying other forms of motorsport? Yeah, you know, if there was a chance to try something totally new, I'd throw my head into the ring. Gotten Himmel! Oh, come on, Nico, let it go! Step Central! We got a Jones on speed! 
I held my breath. I really wanted Lewis to win this race. And that just added to the tension and the value of this race. There was a lot of inherent tension in this race because they, we barely had any proper running because of the appalling weather in Texas, thanks to Hurricane Higgins. Is that what the name of the yes, hurricane was? Hurricane, yes. Yeah. And it was a properly tense event. I've sat on this very sofa here and watched many world champions win. And I always loved the last race. I remember when Lewis won his first one and it was beautiful. This one... Looked we were like here, weren't we, for Hamilton's we first championship? We all stood up. On our feet, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was incredible. But this one, it ebbed and flowed. That was the beauty of this race. It was rather like watching the Rugby World Cup, because a lot of matches in the Rugby World Cup ebbed and flowed. You know, one team led, then another team led, and it could have gone either way on so many occasions. We don't often have that in Formula 1. And mercifully, the race that won in the World Championship had that this year so it was a great race but it wasn't the best thing in this race by a long way my favourite bit was Kimi Raikkonen he went off he hit oh, a yes. barrier coming in a Rolex board in order to get out he literally wiggled his steering wheel so the wheel and the, the front wheel spinning at the back bashed it yeah, yeah. knocked it out of the way and he was back on the circuit that was the best thing to happen in Formula 1 in 10 years in my opinion it did rather remind me as I always imagine the 1970s that everybody just drove when they were drunk <laughs> and this sort of fat old barrister in his Jag XJ6 and he's misjudged a bend in the countryside after a few <laughs> large Scottish wines <laughs> and now he's sort of in a ditch but he's like and then he's just so he's got he's just keeping his toe in and the back wheels are spinning up there's mud everywhere the front wing's coming off and he finally just extracts himself out with sheer bloody mindedness and gets home and then lies to his wife about what happened to the car no it's just fine it's absolutely fine don't damage it all it's just dirt oh shut up Marjorie I know I know what I'm worried at the club but that's it being a Ferrari it reminded me of that famous shot of Villeneuve getting his Ferrari back to the pits on three wheels yeah. this was nothing like that hard you know to be fair but given how rarely you see anybody recovering a car that has actually crashed yeah. back to the pits it was yeah. the closest we've had to that for a very long time I think it'd be and interesting it's, yeah, it's great to, to put see. every driver on the grid in that same situation to see what they would do yeah. which ones would just go oh dear I'm done that's it better get mm-hmm. out switch it off get out yeah, what and back. who would actually think... And the ones who go, no, no way, I am not letting this beat me. Well, mm-hmm. do you know what? I think top of that tree of drivers who might say, us to heck with it, I'm going home. Judging by what he said at the race today, is probably Alonso. There was a bit of oh. car to pit radio where Alonso said something about, oh, if I fall out of the points, I'm just going to stop. Yeah. Isn't that what? Really? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it must I mean, be tough in that team. Yeah, maybe there was a bit of concern to do with saving the engine, wanting to make his new engine last mm-hmm. as long as they could, something like that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Those uh, poor people. But, but if so, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? Because we don't want drivers retiring from races because they want to save their engines. We want, I know. We want, we want them to race to the end. It's, it's one wrong of the many with things. The sports. Like they go, oh, save a bit of fuel, go into Strat 9, save a bit of fuel, look after the tyres. No, drive the bloody car as hard as you can for as long as you can. Mm. That's what being a racing driver is about. Mm. And the same thing, yeah, oh, I'll, you know, I'm a bit tired and <laughs> we're not in the points, are we? I'm just going to pop in the pits, put the kettle on, fancy a brew. Yeah. It's not good. That's not no. good at all. And actually, you know what? I do believe actually Alonso is the kind of person who, if he'd driven his car into a Rolex barrier, all of the things being equal, would mash the throttle and waggle the wheel until it came free again because I think he's got that racer's heart. I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but I do acknowledge he's a racer. He's got some grit. And an exceptional yeah. talent. So, yeah, I'd see him going, come on, you bastard, until it got free. It was an eventful race. 
finished not only Gimme waggling his way out of barriers, but by lap 27, I think I wrote it down at some point, six cars were out. It was a war of attrition, this one, for all sorts of reasons. Teammates hitting each other, technical problems from impacts causing overheating to brakes and stuff like this. And yet McLaren still didn't maximise the point situation. Where did they they? come in there? How did they finish? A few laps from the end, I was thinking they were running sort of 6th and 7th, which would have been a pretty good result. Yeah. Were they both running at the end? I forget now with all the hullabaloo around Lewis. Where did Alonso and Button actually cross the line? Mm. Richard's looking it up. Button came. Yeah. Do we have to guess? Go on. I'm going to say eighth. Yeah. Well, he's always eighth. There was a yeah. period of his, his career yeah. when he was just eighth all the yeah. time. It was almost like they just made him eighth, even if he wasn't. But no, he's confounded expectation because he came sixth. Oh, oh, which was okay. fair enough to him. Hooray. I mean, yeah, if they made the podium twice as wide, he'd have been on it. It's just, <laughs> that is not bad, yeah. considering that that car doesn't seem to be mega. If he conditions sometimes make a great leveller, and his natural talent could shine through. Because did you notice there was a bit where he was tussling with people, and he was mm-hmm. in packs, and he, was, he had two cars coming at him or he was trying to get past someone and someone was behind him they made a mistake he capitalised every time you saw him doing that he showed what a classy driver he is and what an experienced and wise driver he is Mm. because he dealt with that situation I thought always in an intelligent way so that he wasn't whacking into anyone he wasn't giving them the chance to whack into him and he was also just seizing opportunities but probably not the best well, it's not the best car, is it? He certainly hasn't got the power to run away from people. So instead, he was just being a wise yeah. old... Waiting for his bottom. moment and then ducking in and seeing a gap open uh, up. This must be really annoying for him. Despite his veiled threats, Alonso came 11th. So he's just yeah. outside the points, having a miserable time. In fact, he was the penultimate car, because that's it. There are only 12 people at the end. Mm. The last person was the man of Marussia of repetitive strain injury. So actually, if 12 people <laughs> finished... Button only managed to finish halfway up the field, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Which yeah. doesn't sound quite as good. Yeah, yeah. I can't, don't, like don't, don't take I it know, away I know, from I'm him. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm delighted that he came sixth. He's the fifth of the losers. That's not bad. Aside <laughs> from the racing, other things that we noticed during this event was that the snatch tractor which was pretty busy during this race was a JCB which made me instinctively think ah oh, British made but not so Richard you looked this up didn't you yeah JCB have got a factory in Georgia cool they have factories all around the world I think they've got one in sort of Thailand or somewhere as well and various other places JCB are really well, I mean, global I mean, yeah, company they are you know, in the way that you go oh BMW you know moving industrial thing. yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and like BMW go- have factories in America and in South Africa and stuff like that you know because they're a global concern they want to sort of build more locally to places where their cars might be wanted and mm. as all global companies do it's why Jaguar Land Rover now are trying to behave like grown ups and are yeah. building factories in Brazil and India and all sorts JCB they don't get the credit for being actually this preeminent global company mm-hmm. Company that sells its bright yellow wares all around the place. Fair play to them. I wrote to Eddie Jordan a long, long, long time ago suggesting JCB would be the perfect sponsor for the Jordan team. Yellow was the colour of the Jordan team. You know, it would have been a perfect match. And that whole kind of slightly, forgive me, stereotype in the Irish, but that whole <laughs> Irish <laughs> navy construction crossover of that period, you know, where they could have reinvented it, couldn't they? Because nothing says high-tech glamour and sophistication like branding your car so as to associate with Irish navvies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I totally see the logic of that. that, is, that is, well, they were sponsored by fags as well at that point. I mean, right. Yeah, but that's when fags were sophisticated. You know, uh, I suppose. And, you know, and we had no idea... 
they were bad for us yeah, at that yeah, time yeah. as well. That's right. Other things we noticed. Ted Kramitz, Lumsden Bumhat to his friends, said at one point that Lewis was losing grip. What, on reality? On the fact that he was from Stevenage and was talking over the radio in an American accent? And the thing I noticed several times, I keep coming back to this, it seems to be getting more and more wishbones. There was a camera on the front of, I think it was a Williams before both the Williams went out. And it allowed you a really good look at the front wishbones on a car. Mm. Have you studied the wishbones in an F1 car? It wasn't that long ago where they were simply straight rods with a connector at the end. Mm. Now they really do look like chicken bones in that... They're flattened. They're tapered in the middle. They're wider at the anchor points. They Mm. have become these compound curve organic shapes. And I've said it before on this program. If you want your technology to be good, mimic bioengineering. Consider mimicking bioengineering. Because biology doesn't give you the answer to every problem. True. But it can give a lot of answers. Sorry to be contrary, but I just... No, you know, I it, like it, that. It does, I... It does, you're not going to find an example in nature that would help you deal with supersonic airflow, perhaps. True. There no, aren't any supersonic yeah, bio-driven it, Basically, creatures. if you can't find something in a biological structure that's had millions of years of selective pressure yeah. applied to it... Yeah then nature hasn't come up with a solution. But if you were looking for the zenith of light, weight and strength, you'd look to the birds. And if you were looking for and the get, best yeah, management... Yeah, honeycomb of, stuff. Yeah, honeycomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front wings, which look like the wingtips of falcons now, those sort of multifaceted microplanes that we see. It's becoming more and more organic. But, uh, but surely those are doing different jobs. The, the multiple feathers at the end of falcon wings... Yeah. Surely those are doing basically what the flip-ups at the end of yep. aeroplane wings Correct. do, which is something to do with vortices and energy being lost, I think. The flip-ups at the end of aeroplane wings increase the effective size of the wing for relatively little increase in... What they do is actually give you... What they actually do is give you forward thrust, I think you will find. Winglets, it was believed for a long time, make the tip of the wing more efficient, but their greatest impact is reducing drag and therefore producing forward thrust. Shocking, but apparently true. Mm. Even I found that one hard to understand. But if we bring it back the connection with F1 or the comparison, whatever those winglets are doing on the aeroplane wing, it's to do with vortices and sort of air yep. spilling off the edge. Whereas the little things on, on your F1 front wings mm-hmm. are much more to do with channeling and controlling the flow of air back over the body that's inboard of the wings. Mm. So I put it to the court that actually these are entirely different. There are better bioanalogies than that. But there is that old, that old motorsport it's, adage is always... If if it looks good, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it looks cool. fast, it probably Let's is. Let's be honest, it, I think that's the reason why birds of prey have those little sort of individual feathers at the end of their wings. It's mainly because it just makes them look pretty cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and falcons, they do look pretty cool. I will refer you to something that Professor Laithwaite said, one of our greatest engineers back in about 1988, I think he said this, was that, you know, we think we're so clever inventing liquid crystal displays so we can look at our wrist and know what time it is but butterflies grew those themselves on their wings take that real engineering you show me a butterfly that can look at its wing and tell the time and then <laughs> and he's play the night rider theme tune as an alarm <laughs> then we can talk yeah. until then okay. buck up your ideas butterflies yeah. <laughs> 
How do John Bowles from Manamarushariya? It's been right grand being in the US this week, and it's reminded us how much we're looking forward to seeing Carson Sport next year. In fact, we're going to write a welcome message on us cars for him. Hello, arse, it'll say. We're going to write it on back. Gareth Jones on Speed. Before this final part of this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, I feel I should apologise first. You can probably hear some thumping. That's our cat, Finn. Finn's come into the room and it's that time of the day where he starts shouting at us. So if you hear any cat shouting during this piece, I I apologise. The sound missing from Formula One at the moment is the sound of a screaming cat. We miss the old V8s or the V10s or the V12s that made such a wonderful noise. And we're stuck with these droning V6s at the moment. However, there was a bit of news this week suggesting that there could be a second-tier engine introduced to Formula One, not next year, but for 2017, making it possible for teams to run a less sophisticated engine, albeit with twin turbos and a simpler Kerr system, not the two energy recovery systems that they have at the moment. We have discussed a two-tier Formula One on this programme before. Do you think it would work with engines, Sock? I'm very sceptical, mainly because it seems to me that if you are introducing a second tier to the sport as a whole or to the engines, you're implicitly recognising that your basic set of rules and regulations aren't working, Mm -hmm. that you've got your basic setup wrong. So I think it's a bad idea to do that for that reason. And also because you need to fix whatever is fundamentally wrong rather than sticking a plaster on it by introducing a B-spec second tier of teams. That's my initial reaction. I, I would argue that they are fixing what's fundamentally wrong by doing this because what is fundamentally wrong at the moment is that the engine manufacturers who are constructors, car manufacturers, Ferrari, Renault, Mercedes, Honda. Barely count them. (laughs) They have too much control over the sport. So, what Bernie's suggesting doing is introducing an independent engine. Might be Cosworth, could be Ricardo, could be. Yeah, it's back to the old days of the the Cosworth customer engine, isn't it? But it did create, in those days, a sort of two tier thing. Those people bimbling around with the Cosworth, you knew they were never going to challenge at the front. They were almost in their own little sort of private series for the Cosworth engine cars. But it did keep the grid busy for four years or five years. Yeah, but it was only a stopgap thing, and it would only be a stopgap again, and it would be even more hard, I think, this time around. It's hard to see that in the current climate that an independent manufacturer would be able to be any closer to the manufacturers than last time around. It's a tremendous challenge. Mm. It's clearly a huge challenge even for someone like Honda to come in and build an F1 engine to the current regs. To ask Cosworth to do it. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Why would you go, ask? and then we want our name attached to a sort of second fiddle, inferior product? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Why bother? Yeah. They've got quite a good name. I presume that they're doing all right on their various things that they do. Why put yourself out Why there? Why risk? Yeah, yeah. Biggest, yeah. most high profile motorsport going, yeah, we supply all the sort of dog endy bits. 
But it is tremendously hard to see how you can change the rules to improve batteries. I mean, I can see that this is a kind of a monstrous problem because you want the engines in those cars, in a sense, to be as technologically advanced as you can make them. F1 is supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsport. That means it's got to have the coolest engines, the best technology in the end can have. And I think at the moment that means that it has to be some kind of hybrid because we are moving away from fossil fuels in road cars, and that's only going to continue. It has to continue. So F1 is going to shoot itself in the foot if it decides to go back on that and to go with simpler, good, honest petrol-burning engines and throw out the hybrid stuff. Why the heck aren't uh, Toyota a... back in Formula One now then? With Honda there, and Toyota having such experience in hybrid technology, why aren't they capitalising on that? Yes, I know... The well, they don't have experience well, in the F1 style of hybrid technology, do they? Different they're, world, yeah. And, and obviously they've got their Le Mans thing going yeah. on. I just think, why put yourself through that? I think they would want to have achieved all of their aims in endurance racing before they went back to F1, I think. You know, mm. They'd want to have a couple of years in endurance racing where they were clearly the best car. I said it before on Twitter, but if I was Toyota and I wanted to spend money in F1, I would buy all that blank space on the McLaren and write <laughs> Honda in really big letters. <laughs> that's cheeky, but that's a good idea, actually. Or um, Nissan, doesn't really matter. Just associate one of your rivals yeah. with a crap product. That's all you need to do. I'm sure we'll come back to this theme of engines and Formula One again in the future on Gareth Jones on Speed, but there's two things I want to talk about before we finish this show. Forgive me if it's a bit of shameless self-promotion, but this is the mothership. We are allowed to do that where and when we want. We'll come to the rather important announcement for Gareth Jones on Speed in just a minute. But first, Richard, you've published a book, or rather a book has been published that you have written in the last two weeks. Yeah, I just did the writing. I didn't have to print it or anything like that. <laughs> Which is... He didn't have the letters set out. No, God, it this, take forever. This book is unlike any other book that you've ever written, because you've principally written about cars before. Crap cars, my dad had one of those, more yeah, crap cars. Yeah, the and top I did those gear Top books. Gear annuals yeah, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But um, this is a different creature. The book is called And On That Bombshell. Yes. It's the story of Top Gear. It's the story of my time working on Top Gear, which was a little bit on the old show, and then the full stretch on the format that's just ended. So... yeah. From 2002 to 2015. It wasn't difficult for you to write this book, was it? You turned that round pretty quickly. I did. Before you answer this question, bear in mind that your answer may affect the size of future advances from publishers. Exactly. (laughs) How hard was it to write this book? Is it going to be really hard to write? Yeah, it was a piece of cake. Well, because people go, oh, well, it sounds like you dashed that off. I'm not going to bother. And the publisher also go, we paid you money for this, and you claimed it was all really hard. I did it very quickly because I spent a lot of time procrastinating, and then finally decided I was going to do it, and then found a publisher who wants to publish it but then they went we kind of need this in quite short order and so I had to approach it and I've read this before about actual proper writers who do novels and things like that that they approach it like a job and you get up every morning and you go to your office and you have to go and, and do you some stuff write so many thousand words yeah, and then you exactly so I had a target I had to do 2,000 words minimum every day and if I got up in the morning went and walked the dog had a bit of a think went up to my office, wrote 3,000 words sometimes by lunchtime if I had a real head of steam, and that was great. And then I could go and spend the afternoon, like, you know, take my little boy out or something like that. That's quite a good thing. But, yeah, I had a reasonably stringent target, but it was quite good fun to do, dredging your brain of things that I'll probably forget one day when I'm old and gaga. So 
Apart from anything else, it was really like writing a glorified journal, but knowing that hopefully it would be packaged up into something that other people might want to read as well. I would really like to have read the book because we had a copy sent here. Thank you very much, your publishers, which I'm very pleased about. But I got five pages in and then Tycho, my son, took it away and he's read it. A vast majority of the book and loves it, laughs out loud and said that he read something in it which was genuinely surprising. Oh, I wrote the word boo in big letters. Oh, that was that. <laughs> the impression Tycho got was that you had huge admiration for Richard the Hamster Hammond. Is that true? Of the three of them, is Hammond the most serious car geek? Because there's a line in the book about him buying a left-hand drive 911. Yeah. yeah. Well, I first met him. Actually, it wasn't the first time I'd met him. I'd met him on a car launch event when I worked in Old Top Gear and he was doing Granada Men and Motors. I remember. And then he came in for a screen test at Old Top Gear and almost got the job. And in the end, we gave it to Adrian Simpson, who's another car journalist, because he was sort of raw and unformed. And John Bentley, the producer, is it? I don't know. Yes, John. That uh, <laughs> we'd better sort of start someone from scratch almost. And mm. Hammond was already a professional TV presenter. I voted for Hammond when it came down to it, but I was outvoted. I told Hammond that the third time I met him, which was a screen test for what became New Top Gear. And he went, oh, don't tell me that. And he was visibly distraught that he'd learned how close he'd come that time. And then he screwed up the audition. Then he did the audition for what became the show. You could tell he really wanted it. Mm. It meant a lot to him. But he turned up in a Porsche 911, an 80s one, a G-series, Gearbox if you're a 911 geek, and it was left-hand drive because left-hand drive ones were cheaper. Mm. And he couldn't afford a right-hand drive one, but he loved 911s and he loved cars so much. He was prepared to go through that sacrifice. And that as much as anything, told us something about the bloke, that he felt it in his blood, that it was real, that he wasn't just turning up and he was a generic TV presenter going, oh, yeah, I love cars. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love them. He mm. properly lived it. Mm. And that was definitely a little tick in the box. Mm. Who comes out of the book best of the three presenters? I do. Well, words, yeah, it's, <laughs> darling, that's, I wrote everything. That's the joy about writing yes. a book. The bit where I'm falling from an aeroplane, but I'm still firing back at it so the baddies can't get away. <laughs> it's a sensational <laughs> chapter. Uh, who comes out of it? I don't know. Read the book and find out. Oh, exactly, because I liked all the presenters. I liked most of the people I worked with. I can't think of anyone I didn't really like. If anyone you didn't like, you did Machiavellian stuff until they yeah, got fired. Yeah, had them killed. Uh, a bit fired, you're right, dog. Fired, so, yes. Yeah. Mm. yes, yes. And what was it like? Was it cathartic? Because that's over now, or is it? Are you going to go and join them at Amazon? Doing I genuinely show? haven't decided. Really? I, I keep getting asked by people on Twitter, and I find mm. it quite flattering yet strange that people I've never met idly want to know what I'm up to mm. but I genuinely haven't so here's the thing the BBC side which will continue to be Top Gear have asked if I would go and do some stuff for them and the Amazon people have asked if I would go and do some stuff with them which is a very nice position to be in and I just haven't decided and I used writing this book as an excuse to not have to commit to that because I had to go I'm sorry I'm terribly busy I've got to do 2,000 words a day you know and I'm still writing that chapter where as I saved all the orphans from the burning bus and then a- went no and caught a bullet <laughs> and uh, like I said I came out of it very well so I was able to sort of say look I'm sorry I can't commit to anything else but it also just gave me a little bit of breathing space and you're right it was very cathartic it was very nice just to sort of reflect on some for the most part some really happy fun times mm. and that's what I sort of tried to capture in the book that what we did on the show was unique and it was something that will probably never be repeated with these new programmes I'm sure they'll both be very good they'll be even better if I don't get involved with either I'm sure but they will never have that sort of un- Unexpected sleeper appeal of Top Gear, where we never set out to make this world conquering huge program. And I was watching this little documentary about the making of Friends, the sitcom Friends, a while ago, and I was thinking, 
God, imagine working on a show that's that long running and that popular. And I suddenly thought, God, I sort of did. Mm. Top Gear, because we never had any real sense that we kept getting told all these numbers about where we were being watched and by how many people. And it just seemed unreal. We were still a little BBC Two show beavering away in our office in London and then going down to our sort of drafty airfield in Surrey. And that was it. And it's only when it all stops all of a sudden and it's a bit of a shock. But then you are able to go, wait a minute. That was all really cool. Mm. And I should write this down before I do lose my marbles and I can't remember it. So that's what I've done. And then it's become a book and it's in all good bookshops now. Well, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Is that seamless? On on that bombshell, it's in all good bookshops right now. Richard, I'm going to force you into a position whereby you can't commit to either the Chris Evans Top Gear or the Amazon car project because we need you for a little something which is going to happen for Gareth Jones on speed very soon. As you know, we've been doing this for 10 years, and I said that we would have an event to celebrate that, a party. We now have a date for that party. Unfortunately, because the three of us are so busy, we couldn't actually do this in the 10th year anniversary. So we're actually going to do it in the beginning of the 11th year anniversary. There will be a bash. It is going to be called 10 Years on Speed Live. Because we will record a live version of this show, the three of us standing around a microphone like the Beverly Sisters, like we do, but with an invited audience, well, an audience, we hope, who will turn up. And this will take place on January the 16th, which is a Saturday in London. And the venue is, rather appropriately... the London Welsh Centre. Do you think we'll feel at home there, boys? Let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And there will also be other forms of entertainment on the evening. There will be a support band and... At least one fruit machine. Really? Well, I'm assuming. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you know more than I do about what we're going to do. But there will be a support band and there will be the debut of the On Speed Band, which I think is an eight-piece band featuring us three and some proper musicians. Am I going to play... Uh, some songs. Some songs. Gareth Jones on Speed Songs. Play this to be the same. And we're going to play a fruit machine as well. If at some point there. in the night. Yeah. I'll that's like, yeah. So that's it. Stand by for the announcement for the tickets will go on sale very soon. You'll have to follow us on Twitter or like us on the Gareth Jones on Speed Facebook page. And if you do that and follow me and follow the Facebook page, you will get to hear of the minute... The tickets go on sale, which will be sometime in the next fortnight. That's all I'm saying. Give you plenty of time to book a hotel and make a night of it. I think we'll have a late bar. We're going to be... Yay! We're going to be going late at this place. Our inability to actually celebrate 10 years when it's 10 years Mm -hmm. is like these ends of run Land Rovers, like the one I'm buying. There's a badge on the back... An old-style Land Rover badge, and then it says 1948 to 2015. And you're going to get it in 2016. I'm getting mine this year, but they're going to carry on making them into January. They are. Oh, they're blown. Just like us. Well, at least we're the Cogent with the motor industry. That's it. You've been listening to Richard Porter. Goodbye. To Zog. Goodbye. And I'm Gareth. I'm going to leave you with a song, and I'm thrilled to be able to a Formula One team owner and being Walter White and the desperate straits that he was in. I'm quite proud of the song because I wrote it in the style of Pete Williams from Dexys. Pete Williams is a second vocalist in Dexys, great singer, has a solo career, I'm a huge fan. But I sent my demo of the song to Pete Williams and Pete said, 
oh, well, yeah, it's a great song. I'll sing that for you guys. Yeah, yeah. And so he did. So for the first time in a very long time, we've got a proper singer singing one of my songs. If when you hear this song, you like the sound of Pete Williams' voice, he's out on tour as the opening act for the Proclaimers at the moment. So please support Gareth Jones on Speed by going to see Pete Williams performing live. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Pete Williams versus Gareth Jones. This is Breaking Bad. Listen to this voice. No one made the prediction that I'd get snared by this addiction. I'm committed now. I've read the book. Time to plot and time to cook. But I'm running out of money. We spend more than we had. I'm thinking of Sally. To a point now I've heard the truth from my wife Coming to think of it Truth is I've been lying all my life Such routine, fear of us What's the worst thing that could happen? Could be stripped clean could make a loss End up chasing dragons But we're running out of money We spend more than we have I'm thinking of selling everything I feel Like I've been breaking back get song lyrics join our facebook fan site follow us on twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv 
Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>